Well, good morning. Welcome to Browncroft. So great to have you with us here in person. And for all of those of you joining us online, glad to have you with us as well. We are in the middle of, uh, or at the end, really, of this series called The Worshiping Church. I am wrapping this bad boy up today. And uh, this has all been a series about not, not only one church, but collectively as a church, what can we live out in our lives and collectively together, how can we live out the mission that God has for us in the here and now. And we've been basing it off of a passage in Acts, Acts 2, 42 to 47. I'm actually going to start by reading that passage as a reminder for us today, and then I'm going to pick it up kind of where I'm taking it at the end of that passage today. But first of all, let's read Acts 2, 42 to 47 together. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And I'm finishing it up here with this verse right at the end. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, this is how I would put it, the worshiping church experiences new life. The worshiping church experiences new life. Now certainly for, for people in this day and age as they were encountering what it means to follow Jesus, this was a brand new experience. And so they were surrendering themselves to Jesus. And as Jason mentioned last week, they weren't just saying, hey, this is a decision between me and God. They became part of a community that was worshiping Jesus together. And so they had to make this decision, hey, I'm going to become part of this larger community that's worshiping and following Jesus as well. And so this was a, that, that's the beginning to new life. But one of the things that I've noticed over the course of my Christian walk now is that this isn't just a one-time event, uh, this new life that Jesus offers. This is a process. This is Jesus offering a continual process to, for us to be involved in the new life that he gives. And we're going to explore that a little bit today by using a passage from the Old Testament that actually points to what we just read in the New Testament. Now, this this amazing thing happening of the church coming together and God moving and it this is predicted all over the the Old Testament hundreds of times and now we reach this point at which it's actually occurring but one of the places that it was predicted in the Old Testament was Ezekiel let me give you a little bit of a background of Ezekiel before we dive in because for a lot of us it's just hey, that's a funny name Ezekiel um, so let me give you a little bit of a background for Ezekiel Ezekiel was uh, someone who was part of the priesthood class. So he was supposed to eventually become a priest. But in the midst of his growing up years, the people of Israel actually were exiled to Babylon. So they were taken out of their homeland and they were taken to Babylon. And 
rather than becoming a priest, Ezekiel turns 30 years old. And instead of saying, oh, I'm, I'm a priest in the temple now, God says to him, I want you to become a prophet. And so, he's, and, and so Ezekiel has this whole nother way of operating than what he was anticipating in his life. And the people were, in that time, were saying, hey, just bring us back to the good old days. Let's, let's get back home. Ezekiel, when are we going back home? We got to get back home. We got to get to the way things were. And Ezekiel, over and over in a million different ways, it's fascinating if you read it, some kind of crazy stuff too. So if you read it, beware. There's some crazy things in there. But he actually says, no, no, you've wandered away from God you, we aren't going back to the way things were. And he says that over and over and over again. Then you get to the middle of the book, and all of a sudden, Ezekiel starts giving hope. So he's saying, yeah, you know what? We aren't going back to the way things were, but actually it's going to be better than the way things were. And so he gives hope for Israel, and then he gives hope to all the nations surrounding Israel. And ultimately, Ezekiel ends up giving hope for all of creation. And as I think about the message of Ezekiel, that's what I think resonates so much with me and so many of the people that I talk to in the here and now. Because, you know, I've taken a lot of time to listen to people over the last several months. And one of the things that I think we are longing for, not only individually, but as a congregation, is hope. For a lot of us, we're hurting in this moment. For some of us, we're living with a lot of disappointment or regret. Um, for some of us, we're just feeling burnt out. We're in a space where we need hope. And I hope that throughout this morning, that's what you experience in your life. Let's, let's read it together. I'm actually going to break it down as we go. So I'm not going to read this all in one shot. We're going to break it down a bit at a time. Ezekiel 37, if you have your Bibles or uh, smartphones in front of you. Ezekiel 37, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says this. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Okay, Ezekiel's having this vision of God at work, and he's like, this is crazy stuff happening right now. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, only you alone know. Okay, now, before we get too much further into this, let's, let's break this vision down. I've actually had a, a, a kind of a similar experience, this, the, a valley of bones experience. For some of you, um, you've heard me tell stories about my time in Yellowstone with college students. And uh, my wife and I spent 11 years there doing a mentorship program, an outreach program with college students during the summertime. And um, one of the summers... There was uh, a few guys that were there that kind of befriended some people in the park that had said, hey, you know what, there's this actually this place in the park where they dump animal bodies that have been left on the side of the road or in conspicuous places or that kind of a thing. And uh, they didn't say the location, but they said there's this hope that, you know, it's about this area. And so one of the guys came up to me and he said, I think it would be a good idea to try to find this. 
and I was like, yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. That, that's great. We absolutely should try to find that. And so, and so we hiked in this area of the woods. We kept, on, we kept on going. It was about maybe a mile and a half in, and we started to see bear, mar- bear claw marks on trees. And, um, you know, normal people may have said that's a sign to turn around. No, not us. We were like, this is the right location. Let's keep on going a little bit further. So we did. Um, and then we walked, I don't know, quite a bit further, and we saw a few signs on trees that said, um, bear frequenting area, um, beware kind of a deal. Once again, we said, that's probably a sign for us to keep on going. That's, that's good. Let's continue to go. So we did. Um, and then walked, walked a while further, and, and uh, one of the guys we were with stopped and said, I think I smell something. And uh, went about maybe 20 yards further, took a turn, and it was like a football field size of bones of animals, elk and buffalo and deer and like spines and femurs and everything everywhere. As a matter of fact, here's a picture of uh, some of us with it in this field of bones. And, uh, you know, we got buffalo heads in front of us there. That's what those are, uh, just so you know. And it, it was a glorious moment. And then we decided, let's take some pictures real quick and let's get out of here as fast as we can because this is essentially a bear buffet. And we don't want to think they were their next meal. So uh, we got out of there fairly quickly. But, but why this imagery by God? I think this is... This is an important image that he's giving Ezekiel. Why this imagery? Because he wants Ezekiel to realize and us to realize the spot that we're in. In the nation of Israel at that time, what spot are you really in? It's not that there's some some great, you know, easy fix here. There's not a, a great easy plan. God wants Ezekiel, us, to realize that our hope is not in our ability, it's only in God. If, it's gonna, if anything good is going to happen, it's only in God. And here's, here's the first point that I would say to all of us this morning. Valleys of desperation are often places of preparation. Valleys of desperation. When we get to the place where we're like, there is absolutely no other way other than God, those are actually the places that God actually uses in our life to do the most amazing things, is in that spot. I wish it wasn't true. I don't want that to be true in my life, but over and over, that's the way that God has shown up in my life as well. And it's almost like God is teasing Ezekiel in this moment. It's kind of this funny back and forth with him. Can these bones live? You know, Ezekiel, come up with a plan. Go ahead. Give your best plan right now. Ezekiel's like, God, only you know. Only you know. Let's go on to verse 4 through 6. Takes us a step further. Says, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So not only does he say to Ezekiel, hey, I want you to 
to look at this. I, then he says, I want you to speak to these bones. I mean, this is even crazier. Let me, let me illustrate this uh, further with you guys if I can. Uh, Stephanie, I think, back here has an has, uh, illustration for us. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, you're, she runs this whole show. Um, so, so here, this, this, this is a, a deer head, okay? This is a deer head. It's a skull, bones. Um, so, so now... This is the craziness of what God is asking Ezekiel to do. Are you, are you tracking with me here, the craziness of this? He is saying, Ezekiel, tell this deer head to come to life. Tell it, speak to it, say, say put flesh on there and become a deer again, right? That's crazy. Does anybody else think that's crazy? Because I think that's crazy. And Ezekiel had to think that's crazy. Now, now here is what, the interesting thing is, God invites Ezekiel to be part of the process. God could have just, could have just brought the, Ezekiel to the Valley of Bones and said, Ezekiel, um, I'm going to zap these bones. Zap. Now they're all alive again. But he says to them, actually, I want you to speak to the bones and tell them to become alive. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's, it's what... Henry Blackaby in the book Experiencing God, I'm not sure how many of you read that book, but it's a really, really good book. Um, he calls crisis of belief. There are these times in the Christian life, and they're all the time, it's a pattern where God will say, I'm going to take you to the edge of yourself. I'm going to ask you to do something absolutely crazy, and I'm going to say, you're going to have to trust me in this because if you don't trust me, you're going to look foolish, and, and this is what I'm going to ask you to do. And he's doing that to Ezekiel in this moment. He's saying, I'm, I'm asking you to do something crazy here, Ezekiel. Speak to the bones. Now, let's see what happens as Ezekiel does that. Verse 7 says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise. This is cool. A rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. That last phrase is really interesting. There was no breath in them. It's like the, the skull, and you guys have seen the deer heads on the wall, right? The taxidermy deer heads. It's like it became one of those, but you still look at it and you go, oh, that's a deer, but you go, there's no breath in it, though. It's, it's, it's shallow. It's, it's not alive. Um, and that's what Ezekiel is looking at here, kind of like mannequins. They, they look real, but they're just surface. And I think God wants Ezekiel to, to notice something in here. He wants us in us to notice we can have a new look without having new life. We can have a new look without having new life. And for some of us, we think, you know, the outward stuff is what God really cares about. And I'm not saying God doesn't care about the outward, but what he really cares about is what's happening underneath the surface of our lives, not simply um, the, what, what everybody else sees. We've got a lot of kids in here, right? Thank you for joining us today, kids. It's awesome having you in here. Okay, question for you kids. Have you, have you, your mom and dad ever told you to say sorry to somebody and you did it, but you didn't really feel sorry? Any, any kids have that? Yes, I see a couple hands. Yeah, I see some adult hands too. Yeah, that's good. 
Yeah, me too. I've done that too. I've been there. I've, I've done that. But what we can do that. We can have the outward thing, right? I'm sorry. And then, but not have our inward heart changed. And God is pointing out something here that's very deep. We can have that outward thing and not have the inward. And what God desires is not just simply an outward faith, but it's an inward transformation that takes place as well. Um, and that's why when he goes on, it starts to make just a little bit more sense for us. Let's, let's continue to read here. He says to me, then, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was, was commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Whoa. Now, this is something we don't appreciate because we read this in English. But if you're reading this in Hebrew, the word breath, the word spirit, and the word wind are all the same word. And so as you're reading this, you kind of have a tough time knowing what's he prophesying to and what's he really saying here. And different translations actually say it different ways because it's all the same word. But God is is trying to get a point across. He uses that word so many times in here that you have to go, this is the whole point of what he's talking about. You can't escape it. You have to go, this is obvious to Ezekiel and hopefully to us what he's saying in, in this moment. He wants us to realize that it's really about the spirit. The spirit is really what this is, this is about. It's not about our effort. It's about what the spirit does. Um, Nancy Lee DeMoss, an author, um, teacher, in a book, uh, says this. We will never meet God in revival. That's the, the idea of new life. Until we have first met him in brokenness. We will never meet God in revival. New life, what we yearn for, that hope that we yearn for. Until we have first met him in brokenness. And again, I, I don't want this to be true, but this seems to be the pattern of the Christian life. The, the, the brokenness that we experience and then we realize we can't do it on our own. We need the spirit to be doing this. This is not us. This is not our power. It's not possible to speak to the bones and have them come alive again. We just can't do it on our own. Um. This is, my, this is another point from the passage. When the Spirit is in us, even our darkest days have hope. So when the Spirit is in us, which is new. This is not a, this, for, for people in Ezekiel's day, this was a totally mind-blowing concept. But when the Spirit is in us, even our darkest days have hope. And as I was thinking about this, I thought about some examples, uh, even from our church. But I, but I wanted to, to finish off this because this is an important piece of this as well. He, Ezekiel ends this vision by God speaking to him, and it takes us, jumpstarts us all the way back 
to Acts. So you're going to see the connection between these two passages as this prophecy ends. Verse 11 says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Anybody feel like your bones are dried up and your hope is gone this morning? Some of us know what it's like to feel that way. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up for them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Amazing prophecy here of what, what happened in Acts. The Spirit came and lived inside of people, and that's what happened. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. I'm not just bringing you back to the old days. I'm bringing you into something better. I'm bringing you into something you could never dream about if you even... It, it just blow your minds if you even thought about it. I so appreciate the fact that um, we have living examples of this kind of hope, even within our church. And um, Josh Eisenhart um, approached me a few weeks ago and, and told me one of the story of, of Sue Mayo Smith. And uh, he took the time to actually go out and, and videotape Sue. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is an example exactly of what I'm talking about this morning. It blessed me because of the hope that she demonstrates the Spirit of God has worked in her, even in a really, really dark time. And I thought, my goodness, this, I, I can't not show this. So um, we're going to look at Sue's story together this morning about how God has worked in her life. My neighbors see me so happy laughing on my patio, laughing about what I have and laughing with friends, and they don't get it. Well, they start to come over. They want to know what's going on. Then I start telling my story. didn't dawn on me to pray for myself because I just knew that God would take care of me. I knew that that God would, whatever his, he wanted to happen would happen. What I did pray for was that I'd bless the nurses, I'd be a blessing to the doctors, I'd be a blessing to the techs, that I could be an encouragement to such a hard job. I went on in the next two weeks to have several surgeries. I had four surgeries altogether, which put me into this um, out of it state and also grew my depression quite a bit. It was, it was awful. But with that, God answered my prayer about 
me able to be a blessing to these people because he kept me in the hospital for two and a half months. It turned into uh, me having a lot of fun with the people that I wanted to bless and me laughing with them and enjoying the time. And they would actually come to my room for the fun of it. And just as I'm starting to get better, then comes a new diagnosis that the tumors are back again. It was very clear to me that I should continue on without surgery. I should continue and live the best life I can for my daughter, for my friends, for my husband, for my family, and be an encouragement to them. I don't feel like I have the right to say I have cancer because there's people out there suffering so much more than me. What I have is I have this great disease that has brought me into a, even a greater relationship with God. It's brought me into an understanding that I'm going to heaven and that's the ultimate blessing. I know that I'm going to die. I'm probably going to die pretty soon. I may live for another three months. So I got to cram all the good stuff in. And to me, the good stuff is having relationships with people and sharing my love for them. I love people. A lot of the people in my life don't understand why I can be happy, don't understand how I can just be smiling and laughing. I don't know what they want me to do. They want me to be crying and, and depressed. But my tears don't show that I'm depressed. My tears show me that it's meaningful. God has got a plan for you. and you're right where you need to be. And every time something bad happens, I hope that the people will look at it and say, a blessing's coming. And I hope the people who hear this will realize that their unique story with their failures and with their successes is perfect for them. And God made you to do your story. And he's got people out there who want to hear your story. I feel so blessed to have my surgery. I feel so blessed to have my body fail, to have cancer. I feel so blessed to have these people in my life who want to hear my story who I get to share my story because I get to share God with them. And I get to share Jesus with them. And I'm not real good at sharing that, but I'm good at talking about myself. But I know that my friends are gonna be blessed by this. And I know that my husband and the people in the church and my neighbors are gonna be blessed because now this is part of their story. 
they're going to be able to tell. This is the person who is in my life who trusted God and who shared with me that life is not about being afraid and being perfect for God. Life is about watching his blessings. Yeah, we are blessed by that. To have voices like that in our church who are walking through the, the darkest times of their life and yet still have hope and can still speak hope to us as a church in the middle of it, that is a blessing. And what, what Sue said in there, I mean, so many pieces of wisdom in there, but what she said, when you encounter those bad times in life, start to look for the blessing in those times as well. Um, I pray that will be true of us. That is someone... Her example is someone that has internalized what we're talking about today, living by not her own power, but by God's power at work within her. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. It says this, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. You can't comprehend, I can't comprehend the things that God has in store for us. Not only in the here and now, yes, we get to see some of those, thankfully, we get to see some of those things in the here and now. But for all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, there's the ultimate hope of heaven. The place where all of the things that God promised us are true and real and alive and we get to experience them every day, day in, day out for eternity. Um, that is the hope that we ultimately we cling to as a congregation. Not ourselves, not our plans, but Jesus and the life that he gives us. And together that's the the case with us, that's the case with the church at large across the world. We all have that same spirit and that same hope. So as I imagine this morning, there are probably different, all of us enter this place in a different spot. For some of us, we may be entering this place and we're experiencing that kind of hope in our lives. We are experiencing the spirit working in us. And my challenge to you, if that is you this morning, would be, Take a page out of the Ezekiel playbook. Become an Ezekiel to people around you. Speak hope into their lives. Say, let flesh come on these bones, become alive. Our church needs you. This world needs you. We all need each other to be speaking that hope into each other's lives. We have to be experiencing that. And we do that through the voice of other people. There's some of us here that, that might be, uh, you know, we, we, we had a time in our life where we trusted Christ, we experienced the Spirit in our lives, but, but now we kind of, we're feeling like dry bones again. My invitation to you is to just admit that before God and say, God, this is the spot that I'm in right here, right now, 
And that's why we have each other as well. I mean, take a trusted person that you know and, and let them in on your life. And let them know what you're experiencing. And I imagine there might be even quite a few people here this morning that have never said, Jesus, here is my whole life. You have everything. I'm trusting in you. I'm not trusting in myself anymore. I'm trusting in you and your spirit. I want the hope that you give, not what I can produce. The fact is, all of us are bo born like those dry bones that Ezekiel saw. None of us can get to God on our own. None of us can do anything to manufacture that on our own. But here is the glorious, beautiful truth of the gospel. It is good news that Jesus came. He lived the life that you should have lived. He died the death that you should have died. And now that hope, that spirit that was raised Jesus from the dead is now available to live inside of you and can give you hope now and into eternity. All we need to do is go before him and just say, Jesus, I accept that gift that you give me. I trust in you, not in my own way to get to God. I turn from my own selfish way of doing things. I turn from sin and I turn to you, Jesus. That can be you this morning if you're in that spot. This morning, we have the opportunity to partake in communion together. And so I pray that our hearts will enter this space in a reflective moment. And my prayer is for all of us that we will reflect on where am I right now? What, what is true of me entering in this moment? How is that hope meter, if you will, in my life right now? Um, for those of us who have made that decision, I pray that we would renew that commitment to Jesus. For those of us who haven't, I'm going I'm to pray before we, the, we have a time of singing beforehand where we can prepare our hearts. I'm going to pray and invite you to, to pray along with me if that's your desire this morning. There's no accident that that's your desire. If you feel like, hey, I want to make this commitment to Jesus, it's not an accident. So let me pray for us. And then the, the band is going to come on up and sing a song and, and we'll have a time to reflect and, and just be honest with God together. So Jesus, in these moments, we depend on you. We're reminded of your love for us. And Jesus, for anybody here who has never made that commitment to follow you, has never experienced the hope that your spirit brings in this life, Lord, I pray that they would be able to, to pray along, even with me in this moment, and just say, Jesus, I turn from my selfish way of living. I turn from my own sin, and I accept the sacrifice that you made for me on the cross. And I choose right here, right now, to live for you. Thank you for sending the Spirit to live inside of me and give me hope. I accept that right here, right now. And Lord, for, for those of us who may have made that decision before, but we just need to experience that new life, Lord, I pray that we would be experiencing that new life, even as we stop and reflect in this moment about what we're about ready to engage in 
celebrating one of the most sacred things that you give us, communion together. I pray that these moments will be full of of true reflection and appreciation for everything you've done for us. Guide us during this time. In your name, Jesus. Amen.